at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello and welcome to episode 151 of the Bronx Beat Podcast presented by Baseball Prospectus' BP Bronx blog. It's a lot of B's in that sentence. My name is EJ Fagan and tonight I am joined by Derek Alban. Hey EJ, what's going on? And Dr. Paul Semendinger. Hello Derek and hello EJ. Hello guys. So, uh, how you feeling after getting swept by Tampa Bay? Uh, I, you know, I really don't, it doesn't bother me at all. I, I, I know that sounds crazy, but, uh, you know, when your team is as good as the Yankees are this year, this kind of thing is just going to happen from time to time, and they kind of just play like crap at the trop anyway, and it's a garbage stadium, so you can call it a stadium. I don't even know what I would call that place. A dump, I guess, is the right way to... Circus tent. Yeah, so, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, I feel like in past years, like, a, a crappy series like that would really make me cranky, but, um, yeah, it doesn't, it didn't really phase me. It didn't ruin my weekend. All right. So, De- so Derek has no, uh, no anxiety from the last couple of years of the Yankees not being great. Uh, Paul, do you have anxiety? I do. You know what? Derek is correct and he is logical and he is rational. And when the Yankees get swept by a team like the Tampa Bay Rays, the irrational side of me comes out and the fan side of me comes out and I start to think, well, Greg Bird doesn't hit and Gary Sanchez doesn't hit and now he's hurt. And, um, you know, Domingo Germán didn't pitch well and he's never going to pitch well again. And the Yankees, what they've done to this point is all a mirage and they're not going to win any games the rest of the year and they'll end up in last place. It's irrational, but uh, that, that's what sometimes takes over when, when he gets swept by the Tampa Bay Rays. So the fact that they won yesterday and they're winning as we record this tonight uh, renews my faith. Yeah, we're recording this, uh, let's see, in the seventh inning or bottom of the seventh inning uh, with Luis Severino on the mound. Uh, the Yankees are winning 6-0. So at the moment, it's feeling pretty good. And uh, I'm kind of with Derek. I'm kind of I'm, I'm kind of okay with losing a couple of games here and there. It's going to happen, uh, even though I do have that division. That like you know, The division standing is kind of haunting me at the moment because it's, it's going to be close between two powerhouse teams, as we've talked about before. But I want to move on to the bad news. Bad news is that Gary Sanchez uh, has been injured. He has a groin injury. He injured them. Injured them running to first. Injured his groin. It looked like running to first base uh, on Sunday. I think it was, and uh, will be out for at least three to four weeks. Though with groin injuries and catchers, I'm betting on the over a bit. Uh, Derek, what do you think about this injury? Is it uh, how how bad is this injury, and should the Yankees do something about it? Yeah, I mean, this is the one thing that uh, was upsetting about the weekend for me, at least. Uh, it's not good. Uh, you know, he sounds like he's going to be out past the All-Star break, might not see him until August, and, you know, there just aren't many good catchers at all in baseball, and the drop from Sanchez to Romine is is pretty significant. So to go for a month or so, you're going to have to go playing Romine, and I know he's played well. Uh, it, it's going to be a drop-off, and that's even, even though that Sanchez, you know, has not been quite himself either 
uh, it's not good, and there's not really much the Yankees can do. You can't really trade for anybody because there just aren't that many good catchers, and you know a stopgap acquisition is only going to last a month. And then there's Kyle Higashioka coming up as a backup, and I mean he's really nothing special himself. So it's not a good situation all around. Paul, uh, how if you're Brian Cashman, would you try to seek out a trade for an upgrade over Higashioka, or would you just kind of stand pat? Oh, that's so hard. Uh, I think you have to stand pat. But here's my concern. We've seen this with so many injuries with the Yankees where they say (laughs) four to five weeks and then it turns out to be four to five months. Um, They seem to underreport injuries sometimes. And so, you know what? We have to sometimes as fans trust that Brian Cashman and the Yankee hierarchy actually know what they're doing because they actually do a great job. And... uh, they, they have to have a sense of how long this injury is going to be. If it's going to be two months or longer, I, I do think they need to get somebody better than Kyle Higashioka because uh, I don't think he's a viable backup. I don't think he's ever had a hit in the major leagues, 18 at-bats, I assume, something like that, I think. Um, and I don't know if Austin Romine, as great as he's been this year, is really, truly a starter. And this, this uh, as, as bad as Gary Sanchez has been this year, in spite of his good home run numbers, uh, it's a big precipitous drop-off, and so that is concerning. Yeah, I guess the good news is the Yankees have won 68% of their games or 69% of their games despite uh, Gary Sanchez being bad. And so although you, you would expect Gary Sanchez to be better going forward, it looks like he's just been getting pretty unlucky. Um, you know, you, you, know you're, you're not, you're, you, are, you aren't taking a hit to the production that's already been there. Right, I think I think you know Austin Romine can probably be about as good as Gary Sanchez has been, but that's not a, that's not a strong silver lining, and I don't think we have much more to say about it on this podcast other than get well soon, Gary. Hopefully, maybe this will you know you know snap him back into shape once he uh, once he comes back from the injury. Um, but again, groin injuries and catchers though that can be kind of nasty. I want to move on to the main story of tonight. And that main story is Aaron Judge. So I published an article today on BP Bronx. Uh, the title of the of the article pretty much says it all. The title is, How Much Is Aaron Judge Hurt by His Biased Strike Zone? Spoiler, a ton, and it's an outrage. So we, we've all read stories this season about Aaron Judge um, getting extra called strikes but down by the knees. That he is more likely than most other batters to uh, for, for umpires to call those strikes because he is tall and so they have trouble visualizing the strike zone down low. Essentially what they are doing is they are calling the same strike zone as they do for a normal size player for Aaron Judge, but because Aaron Judge is taller, his knees, in fact, it's not actually true, they're calling it a worse strike zone than, than for Aaron Judge. So they're calling it a larger strike zone, despite the fact that Aaron Judge's low point, the, the, the point at which you should call a, a strike a strike and a ball a ball, is actually higher than the average major league player because he's taller. Right, he's got a huge strike zone, um, but they're not they're not making that adjustment. In fact, maybe adjusting the wrong way. So to put some numbers on top of this, Aaron Judge saw 1,449 pitches in the lowest part of the zone. This is where pitchers pitch him. He clearly has some kind of weakness low in the zone. They throw everything low, and 7.9% of the pitches that were low in the zone. So this is the very lowest part of the zone and out of the zone. Uh, according to StatCast's uh, uh, distribution of the zone, were called a strike. So about 8%. The average major league, uh, major league hitter sees about 3% of these pitches called as strikes. So Aaron Judge gets a lot more strikes called in this, in this zone than others. 
And if you were to extrapolate that, you would find that Aaron Judge has probably seen about 70, 72 fewer, uh, more additional called strikes uh, that would have been balls than the average major league pitcher. So what does this mean? Uh, there's a lot of people just kind of stop there. In fact, every article I've read have, has just kind of stopped there and said, damn, it really sucks that Aaron Judge is getting a lot of extra call, uh, uh, called strikes against him. Um, this number is higher. The rate is much higher, in fact, than last year. Last year he was among, th- among the league leaders but was not the clear league leader that he is now, so he's, he, the strike zone is getting worse against Aaron Judge. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to calculate what the effect was. So how big of, uh, of, of an impact does this, this, uh, this, this uh, larger strike zone have on Aaron Judge's Woba? So here's what I did to do that. And, and you can read the whole article for the, for, for, for the real math. But basically, when you can, you can compare two different counts. The count that the, ball, the, that the judge would have if the ball was called a ball and the count if it was called a strike. So on the first pitch of the at-bat, it's 0-0. You can call a, call a ball a strike or call a ball a ball. If it's a strike... Aaron Judge has a 293 Woba against. The strike, you know, the count is so important that just that one strike called at the beginning of that bat turns Aaron Judge into Ronald Torres. If it's called a ball, that first pitch, Aaron Judge is a 516 Woba, which is like peak Barry Bonds. In fact, better than peak Barry Bonds. The the difference between this just one strike in that situation is a gap of about 20 200 Woba, right? 0.2 Woba which is huge, right? That, that's, that's, like I said, the difference between Ronald Torres and Pete Barry Bonds. And you can do this for every single count, every, every kind of count. So you could either be a 3-1 count or you could be a 2-2, or, or you could be a 2-2 uh, uh, count. You could either be a 1-2 uh, you know, count or you could be a 2-1 uh, count. And you compare the differences in judges' splits, his actual performance in those counts for each of those. And I did that, and then I multiplied that number by some stuff, and I got a number that I did not believe at first. In fact, I spent a whole day checking these numbers to make sure this was correct. That if you adjust for those called strikes, Aaron Judge gains 0.05 WOBA. So he goes from a, three, a 403 WOBA hitter to a 453 WOBA hitter, which is a massive, massive difference. It's the difference between Aaron Judge and Mike Trout. On, on, the, on the low end, it's the difference between Aaron Judge current all-star Aaron Judge, and like Ben Zobrist at his peak. Like the, the, the difference of, of a .05 Woba is, is catastrophic. And it seems that the evidence is pretty clear that there's a huge impact on Aaron Judge. Maybe it's not .05 Woba, maybe it's half that. Even if it's, it is half that, it is an outrageous thing for umpires to be doing to, to, to Aaron Judge and it needs to be corrected. Uh, Paul, I'll let you go first. What is your reaction to this post? All right. So, EJ, I first have to say that everybody listening, we all have to rise for EJ. We're not rising for Aaron Judge. (laughs) We're all rising for EJ. Uh, I have been watching this dynamic for the last year and a half uh, since Aaron Judge came up and started to become an impact player. And with um, whoever's watching the game with me, friends or my family, I have said to myself, this is unbelievable, this is ridiculous, I don't understand why he keeps getting these bad calls. Uh, I wish that I had the mental capacity, the time, and the resources that I could figure out how badly this is impacting Aaron Judge and really the Yankees and, and in a sense all of baseball because it's, uh, it's changing the dynamic of, of, of Aaron Judge, which changes the dynamic of the Yankees, which changes the dynamic of the games. Um, 
and uh, and then you said today that you were writing it and um, and the work you did is just amazing and I do have to also say that I like the fact that you put all your resources uh, into the article and you asked uh, other readers to um, read your work and to provide feedback and to uh, to analyze it and to find out where if you made a mistake there was one and I also think that you admit in your research that you think your research is um, not as um, that that the impact is greater, and I have to agree with that because if I'm Aaron Judge and a ball ball one is called or ball one is called strike one because it's a pitch low in the zone that I can't hit, and all of a sudden I realize that they're going to call that pitch a strike. I know two things: one, the pitcher's going to come back down there, and two, if I don't swing. I'm going to have to, it's going to be a strike anyway, so I'm going to have to swing. And what they do is they take him out of his at-bat and his chance to truly impact a situation, not because the pitcher's doing his job, but because the umpire's not doing his. And in any other business, if, if with, with this kind of evidence, and again, you, you mentioned it, everybody mentions it. It's in papers, it's on blogs, it's on telecasts. It's on Yankee telecast. It's on ESPN. Look how many strikes they're calling out of the zone on Aaron Judge. But nobody goes further than that. In any other business where there's this egregious fact that people are calling things incorrectly, something would happen. And it's not in baseball. They just let this continue. And they say, what a shame. Poor Aaron Judge. But the umpires need to adapt. It's their job to, re to adapt. And uh, something's got to be done. So that's why we uh, blogged it on on, uh, on our blog, and I put it all over Twitter as best as I could because I think the, something like this, your research needs to get to the Yankees, and it needs to get to Major League Baseball, and it needs to get to somebody who's going to tell the umpires they have to call the real strike zone. Just to give you an answer to one of your questions there, I, I, I didn't put this in the post, but it's about a two-win difference for the Yankees. So the Yankees mm. would, would, would ha gain on average about two wins if Judge had a fair strike zone. Uh, according to at least according to these results. Okay, um, so, Derek, so they have they have a two they have a half game lead right now, correct? Yeah, so it'll be All a right. two and a half game lead, uh, and that's could decide the division. Yeah, yes. especially it's only half a season, right? So this could be a four win difference, four wins, and that, that's and that's going to be the difference this year between the team that finishes in first and the team that has to play that silly wild card game. Right, and um, I mean, and you know, even from a business perspective, millions of dollars are at stake here. I mean, this mm -hmm. is huge. I mean, this is, uh, I, the effect size is massive. And I have a theory about the Yankees because I suspect that the Yankees didn't take me that long to run these numbers. The Yankees have a lot of statistics PhDs in their in their analytics department. But I have a theory about that we can talk about later. But first, Derek, can I get your reaction to this? I think Derek oh. left. I, oh, and Derek is back. Derek, you are back, and that, that is perfect timing. Derek, can I get your reaction to uh, this post? <laughs> what happened there? <laughs> I don't know where, what happened. I, 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 but anyway, my, my, I heard most of your points. I don't know. Uh, uh, man, that kind of threw me for a loop. Sorry, guys. Um, yeah, I, I, whenever I watch Judge at bat, um, and I see a low strike, and he just takes it and doesn't really, you know, Say much. I know it's not in his nature, I guess, to to to, to bark back to the umpires, but there's got to be a little bit of uh, uh, of pushing, I think, from his end because it's it's getting to the point where clearly, as you demonstrated, that it's it's just um, you know it, it's just not fair at all. Uh, I the 
I wonder why the Yankees aren't making a big deal out of this. And I have a theory. I'm like, know what you guys think about this theory. So the, the Yankees have to know that this is a, a big deal on the order of what the numbers say, right? They have better people running the numbers than I am, than, than me. They are, you know, they, they know that this is an issue. I don't think the Yankees can go out there and make a big deal of this because I think umpires retaliate. That if, if Aaron Judge or the Yankees go out and say, I'm getting hosed by the umpires, fix this, please. Um, you know, the umpires will, uh, you know, they don't like, they don't like their territory being infringed upon and they're not doing this intentionally, right? They're, they're doing this essentially by accident. And, um, th- here's the other interesting thing. So the Yankee, the, the, um, the zone is actually more accurate for Aaron judge than for other players. So I forget exactly how the rule book describes the, the strike zone at the knee, but it's like, you know, the midpoint of the hollow of the knee is the end of the strike zone. However, in practice, uh, major league batters are given a much higher strike zone than that. And so anything from like the middle of the, the end of the knee to like a little bit up on the thigh is is kind of in this territory where some things get called a ball, some things get called a strike. For Aaron Judge, there's a much higher likelihood that they'll be called a strike. In fact, a, twice the likelihood that one of those balls will be called a strike. Um, then even someone, the, the, I think Fangraphs did a poster, they found that he was twice as likely to see those balls called a strike as John Carlos Stanton, right? So So a big difference right there. Um, but at the same time, um, uh, so if if I looked at like a Quest Tech readout, like Aaron Judge's would look a little more accurate than would look like very accurate. Like they're really good at calling Aaron Judge balls. But in practice, what that means is that's just a bias against Aaron Judge. It means that a bunch of other batters get balls that 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 you know that should be called as strikes, uh, but Aaron Judge gets strikes that should be called as strikes, and that's the problem, right? Like you cannot. You can randomly distribute errors, but you can't correlate errors. When you correlate errors, you have a disadvantage added to one team. Um, so I don't know, but do you guys, do you think that the Yankees could get out there, uh, Paul, and just, you know, complain to Major League Baseball or the umpires publicly? All right, so, yes. I, I think they have to do something. Back in the day, when I was growing up and George Steinbrenner was the owner, and I don't necessarily agree with this, but when they were bad calls, he used to make videotapes of them and and send them to the league office and prove how the umpires were doing a bad job against the Yankees. Now, I don't know if they want to do that, but I I do think it's the team's responsibility to um, point out this obvious bias or this obvious error um, that that everybody can see with their eyes. And and, um, it's, it's quite apparent. And whether or not that means Aaron Judge who it's out of his character has to turn around and, and start barking at umpires or whether Aaron Boone has to start saying stuff or, but, but somehow somebody has to say like, it's just patently unfair. And it's, 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 it's uh, ruining the competitive balance. You can't call a different strike zone or an unfair strike zone based on, on one player, just because he's, he's big. It, it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, Derek, what should the Yankees do here? Yeah. I, I don't know what the, there's not really, you know, they don't want to get fined. You know, I'm sure Boone and, and Cashman and the like don't want to get fined by complaining publicly, but, um, you know, there's got to be something that has to be done to correct this, obviously, because you're right. I mean, you're seeing balls that, that are getting called but like just slightly below his knee that are getting called for strikes consistently, and it's, yeah, Judge is so good that he's, he's still producing at an incredible level, but he's... There's room for, for growth, which is which is kind of incredible to think about. And just to leave it on the table and not try to do something about it would be just negligent. Yeah, I, I think I'm with you. I think that the I, I think that if Aaron Judge were having like Bryce Harper's season right now, 
that this would be like a travesty and there would be a massive outrage and, and all that. Um, but Aaron Judge is, is is having a really good season. He's like top 10 in war. He's having a legitimate all-star slugger season, but he could be so much better. And I, th- I think I think my answer to this question is I think it's Major League Baseball's job to fix this, not the Yankees. I, I, I'm not actually worried about getting fined or something like that. I think that the umpires will retaliate and call worse calls against the Yankees if they go out there and make a big public stink about this. Maybe they're making a stink behind closed doors, but it's obviously not working. Again, the strike zone has gotten worse for Aaron Judge since last year. Much worse, like 40% worse. And so... You know, at some point, you know, the, the this Major League Baseball's interest in is in has has an interest in the best slugger in a major media market on a team that is not ignored by that major media market, having uh like have being the best slugger. Like he he Aaron Judge is might be as good as Mike Trout or Mookie Betts this season, but he is only you know about half as good as Mike Trout because he has been handicapped by by the umpires. Okay, we're back. We had a little bit of technical difficulty, so we, we're just going to end the, the previous segment, move on to the next segment. We are going to talk about openers. So the Yankees were treated, I guess, to a pretty dominant raised bullpen that were, that were utilizing the opener strategy uh, against, the, against the Yankees, and they've been utilizing it for about a month now due to basically running out of starting pitching. And uh, it, it's, it's an interesting strategy, and the Yankees have some starting pitching issues, especially with some starters who can't really seem to go deep into games. So I want to ask you guys, first of all, I'm going to ask you eventually, should the Yankees use an opener? But, um, I don't know, Derek, can you, can you kind of give a quick summary of the logic behind the opener? Yeah, sure. So what we've seen the Rays do is essentially uh, start someone like, say, Sergio Romo. And the idea is to use one of your better relievers, although I guess Romo is really not that good. But the, the point is that there's some benefits to having a guy follow an opener who pitches one or two innings to lessen the times to the order penalty. And you could also use that, you know, supposed better reliever against the best part of your opponent's lineup. So it, it serves two purposes. One, to utilize your, one of your better relievers in a high leverage part of the game, or, or I should say a point when the opponent can do a little bit more damage since it's at the top of the order. And two, to help your usual starting pitcher go deeper and not have so much of an effect when they have to go through the order a second and third time. Uh, so, Paul, if you're the Yankees, would you consider using an opener uh, for, let's say, uh, uh, Loisaga, Domingo Herman, CC Sabathia start, something like that? Uh, you know what? I, I think what you're doing is asking the question of does it make sense statistically and in practice? Um, probably, but does it change the way baseball has been played forever? I want to ask and, you, and I, I want to pause you on that one because I okay. have strong feelings about that as well. Um, yeah. but I first want to just say just from a pure maximizing wins, should the Yankees... Yeah, it, prob- it probably does. Whitey Herzog, the great manager, back in the mid-80s, in the early 80s when he was uh, managing the Cardinals, had said... A number of times that the the way baseball teams can win games is to have one pitcher uh, pitch each inning, and just have like a nine man pitching staff and just have each guy go one inning every single day and and, and you'll never lose a game and I I think that's the the way the game is moving and uh, I do think it makes sense, but but we'll we'll save the tradition uh, discussion for a couple minutes. Yeah, um, Derek, do you think the Yankees should use an opener? 
No, I don't, I don't think it's necessary. Um, I, I personally, I want to see. I, I don't think it's great for. You know, I want to see what guys like Loisiga and Hermani can do, and it's not like the Yankees are scratching desperately for depth. I mean, if Loisiga or Herman doesn't work out, you still can try guys like Justice Sheffield, for instance, or your guy. Uh, I know you love Josh Rogers. Um, <laughs> you know, so I, I don't think it's necessary for the Yankees. I think it's more important, and maybe not so maybe not so much more important, but it's more understandable for a team like the Rays who's just not willing to pay up and and uh, you know or have certain constraints to try things that are outside the box for a team like the Yankees I just I don't see how the benefit is going to push them you know to the next level uh, because they're kind of already there uh, they don't need much additional pushing uh, unlike the Rays who need to squeeze out every last ounce they can so I, I'm, I think the Yankees should try an opener. Um, I think also, and we'll talk about this, and Major League Baseball should probably legislate away, but we, as long as it's on the, on the books, the Yankees have, I think, kind of have the right bullpen for this, where they have, especially in a, in a close game, uh, or like, like a high-stakes game, like a playoff game, they have more relief pitchers than they probably would use in most cases. Um, someone like Chad Green can go to maybe even three innings and, um, you know, you might not have a use for that, you know, late in the game. You might just, you know, get it right to, to, to our Rollins Chapman in some days. I think if you, if you told Chad Green, go out there and you get like 25 pitches, maybe that's two innings, you know, maybe that's one inning, you, you, could, you could essentially assure that really high, like that really powerful relief pitcher against the, the best lineup, the best um, part of the, of the opposing team's lineup. I think where this really comes into play for me is CC Sabathia, in uh, starts with like a right-handed heavy top of the order. So, you know, if Sabathia goes out there and there's a bunch of lefties, you, you let him start the game. But if there's a bunch of righties, I think Sabathia, you know, could, could benefit from essentially missing those righties and letting Chad Green take care of them. Um, Sabathia is all, you know, the, you don't want to, you don't want to waste innings by using an opener with a starter who might go really long. So for example, you know, Luis Severino, you would never use an opener for because Luis Severino could pitch you nine innings or eight innings pretty reliably. But someone like Jonathan Loisaga or CeCe Sabathia are basically good for five or six innings at this point. Loisaga may be just five innings. Uh, and, you know, if, if that's the case, I think you're not really losing anything by going with an opener, and you do get to assure, you know, essentially that, that those, you know, the, that top of the order sees one of your best pitchers. Uh, I think if the Yankees get, to, get close to the playoffs, either like, you know, that last high-stakes series against the Red Sox or actual playoff games, I think they should actually consider that. Um, and by the way, Chase, Chase and Shreve has just entered the game, uh, which is not good. Uh, What's the score? It, it's 6-0, so hopefully that's enough. It'll be 6-6 uh, six, six in a minute. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, so that, that's our live update in the game. Um, so that's just my I, – I, 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 I think that an opener is almost a no-brainer strategy in just in terms of the math. Like, it just makes sense to use your best relievers in, in, in your high-leverage situations, like facing the top of the lineup. Um, but I, I want to talk about what Paul was kind of alluding to. Paul, is this good for the game? You know what? I, I, I don't want to say it's bad for the game. I think what it does is it changes the game. I'm, I'm an advocate of the DH. I'm an advocate for things that aren't necessarily always traditional, uh, though I don't like uh, the wild card and all that. I, I, I liked when we had just straight divisions, but I understand the need for that, and I don't hate it. 
I, I just think what it does, it, what, one of the nice things about baseball is that it ties to tradition. And, and even though pitchers today don't go nearly as long as they used to, and the win is a flawed statistic, there is still some attachment to it and the idea that this guy is a pitcher who can pitch deep into games and who does seem to win more than he loses, and he can win 200 games or 225 games or whatever, and you could say, how does that compare to Walter Johnson or uh, Warren Spahn or Lefty Grove or whoever? And what this would do is it would really end the idea of a starting pitcher being a starting pitcher, a guy who pitches the bulk of the game when it's his turn. And instead it changes it to a situation where there's a, a series of pitchers and it's a pitching staff that will win you a game rather than a pitcher. And it, it just, it's just it's a different way to watch the game and it's a different way, I guess, to enjoy the game. And, you know, the, the traditional part of me just is a little bit sad because I, I, I've grown my whole life watching the idea that this guy's the starting pitcher and this is who you're putting all your eggs in the basket today for. Derek, is the opener, if the opener becomes widespread, is that good or bad for baseball or neither? Uh, I don't, I, you know, honestly, I don't have terribly strong feelings either way about it. Um, I, I, I lean toward, I'd rather not see it, uh, come into, come into being a thing. Uh, I, I think about the roster construction standpoint of it, and I, I'm worried that we're going to see pitching staffs that are just like 14, 15 players deep. And that's just, that seems excessive to me. I, I don't want to see, you know, the game delve into having like five or six pitching changes per game on the regular. I prefer, you know, to keep it to, you know, ideally two, three, or four pitchers per game. And, that including a starter who goes, you know, five or six innings at, at least. That's just my personal preference. Um, but, like, I wouldn't stop watching baseball because the whole league went to openers. Oh, yeah. I, I just, you know. We're obsessive I, here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, I, I think I'm, I'm kind of on Paul's side in this one. I, I think that there's a drama to a starting pitcher that, you know, the, a game is CC Sabathia versus whatever, Chris Sale. And that, to me, that that is that adds something when you're watching it. And although, yeah, it's true that these days there may, you know, at best maybe Sabathia pitches two thirds of the game, um, but it still is. It it still I don't, it does feel like it adds something to the game. And I think I'm also kind of with Derek. I think the I think that the, the logical endpoint is that every staff looks like the Rays right now because the Rays are really killing it with this strategy. Like it's. The Rays, the Rays have, I think, the third best ERA in baseball, and the Rays lost two thirds of their pitching staff before the end of April. So, you know, there's there's something to this, but it slows games down. You're right. It it kind of makes games hard to follow because you have too many pitchers around. I think that the the legislation here is some kind of rule where you limit the number of relief pitchers, which would I think do it would do away with the strategy. Um, I don't know exactly how you would do that. I think you might, you know, the part of the problem is that you teams just might need more than four or five relief pitchers of like a starter exits early or something like that. Um, but it's definitely something I think we should, the baseball should, uh, should consider. Um, Paul, would you consider some sort of a legislating um, cap on the number of relief pitchers, you know, with, with some kind of exceptions in there for injuries and that kind of stuff? You know what? I don't think I would. I think the game naturally changes, and then I think it's up to uh, up to the, uh, the players and the management and and the teams to adapt. I I, I do think this is the way it's going, and uh, and and I, again, I think it makes sense. And I think it, it. Here's the other part. I think it'll help preserve arms. People aren't going to be throwing a hundred hard pitches uh, each time out. They're going to be throwing twenty or twenty five pitches. 
Maybe and maybe they then expand rosters if this is what happens because I do th- like I think the Yankees are carrying fourteen pitchers right now, which is silly because we talk about strategy. There's only three guys on the bench. There's no strategy when there's three guys on the bench and one's a backup catcher. So maybe you go to thirty man rosters and then you still have a, a bench of people. But um, I, I just don't like when a new thing comes and then baseball immediately thinks that we have to legislate it out. Yeah, the Yankees sent back down Clint Frazier after a pretty successful week, uh, including a, a one game where he led off. Uh, Including a game-winning him. homer that yeah. hit the speaker. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, that w- that was fun. I, again, I forget who in the broadcast said that I, I pity the person who has to go change who has to go change the uh, the wires he loosened. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but, you know, but he was sent down for Giovanni Gallegos, who is has not been very good in the major leagues, not been that great at AAA this year, um, just because the Yankees felt like they needed another pitcher on the roster uh, because some guys retired. So I'm kind of with you guys there. Uh, anything else on the opener before we, we wrap up? I got nothing okay. else. <laughs> okay. Then uh, thank you guys for joining me. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I'm sorry for the technical issues from this podcast. Please go out and read my blog post on Aaron Judge. It is on BP Bronx. Please go read Paul's blog, Start Sparing the News. Please review us on, on iTunes and tell, tell your friends about the podcast and all of that. Uh, this has been your Bronx Beat Podcast. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.